this morning I've got some good news and some bad news. Uh, here's the good news. Now, my, my goal each week, and I, and I know what you're going to say uh, as soon as I say this, my goal each week is to preach for about 30 minutes. And I know you're going to say, man, you miss your goal about every week. Um, but but uh, two weeks ago, last time we had church, I preached for 40 minutes. And I, that was a little longer than I wanted to go. So to make it fair, I, I probably should preach 20 minutes today. That's the good news. The bad news is, I don't remember the last time I preached only 20 minutes. Um, but I am going to try to, uh, to, to go just a little bit shorter since we had the video today. And, and, and reality is we're taking this sermon and going to do it over two different, uh, different Sundays. Have you ever had one of those, one of those days? Uh, a while back, uh, I, I was having one of those days. Seems like, uh, everything was going wrong. I, I, in, I was here in the office and nothing was going right, struggling to get, get my thoughts together on different things. And, and it just, it's just one of those days that things weren't going good. I got home and Rita and I were going to head, head to Kansas City and we went out and I got in her car and I turned the key and it started, but it died immediately. I thought, well, that's weird. And I turned the key and it started and it died. And it did that about five times in a row. As soon as I let the key off, it would die. Oh man, I don't want to mess with, with, uh, uh, with a busted car, but we got in my car and we, we, we went, um, a week ago, a couple weeks ago, maybe now, Nick and Judy were having one of those days, weren't you? I think it was on a Sunday morning. Woke up and uh, Reeves was sick and uh, and then still got sick and a trip to the doctor in the emergency room and then eventually in the hospital for a couple days. And, uh, and, and boy, you know, having one of those weeks really for you all. Or maybe you've had that at work. You've had one of those, one of those days at work where everything is going wrong. People are hassling you and they're, they're complaining at you. They're coming to you always wanting something. And, and when you have those, when you have those days, you long for good news. Uh, the day our car wouldn't work, when we got home that night, I thought, you know, I'm just going to try. And I went over, put the key in it. The car started right up. Took it to mechanic. He couldn't find anything wrong. It's been working perfectly since then. Good news. Uh, Nick and Judy, they have healthy boys now. And good news. When, when you're at work, at least you get to go home, hopefully at 5 o'clock, and and, and put that day behind you. So, so we look for good news. The nation of Israel was having one of those days, but, but for them it had lasted for centuries. Generation after generation of Israel, Israelites had lived under national turmoil, uh, under upheaval, uncertainty. The generation that Jesus came to was living under the occupation of Rome. There wasn't a day that passed that they weren't reminded of that because of the, the Roman troops that, that was, were everywhere in their city, the, uh, the, the weight of taxation that was on them because of the, of the influence of the, the paganness that the Romans had brought to them. They were reminded every day if there was ever a group of people that needed good news, it was them. They were discouraged. They were beat down. They were disheartened. They were hopeless. But Mark, the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus came preaching a new hope, a, a fresh spirit of change. He came preaching, he came preaching good news. If you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Mark chapter one, where we, we started two weeks ago, the series on Mark, and we actually started in chapter 12, but, but we're, we're backing up and now we're going to be going through it chronologically, uh, from chapter one moving forward. Mark chapter one, we're going to look at verses, uh, I'll read for you today, verses 14 to 20. We'll finish uh, the, this section next uh, next week. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist he's speaking about, 
Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the, the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I want to challenge you in a couple ways right now. Uh, as we start this series in Mark, I, I want to challenge you, uh, first of all, to be reading the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. It's only 16 chapters long. And, and to help you even with that, most of the chapters are a little shorter uh, in verses than some of the other Gospels. So, so it's one of the shortest, or is the shortest Gospel uh, by chapters and by, by verses. Uh, and it's an easy read. It really does flow really, really well. So let me encourage you, while we're on this study, to read the Gospel of Mark. Sit down, whatever your pattern is, read a chapter a day, a couple of chapters. And let me even encourage you a little further, but read, to, to read it more than once. Read it a couple times or three or four times uh, during this series. And another way I want to challenge you during this series, and we'll continue on, is to bring your Bibles. When we're, uh, when we're opening up the Gospel, you're, we're going to come across some really cool verses. Not that the Bible doesn't have them everywhere, but Gospel of Mark has some some verses that you're going to hit, and you're like, man, that, that verse is cool. Now, now what I do, I carry a marker in my Bible all the time. So when I read something, they're like, man, I like that. I, I highlight it. Or you can take a pen and underline it, and jot, or jog, or, or jot a little note to cite it, whatever you might do. But, but bring your Bibles and follow along, uh, because God's Word's going to speak to you over these next several weeks, uh, and it's going to be about Jesus. Today we're going to look at this over theme of good news, but today's title, Good News, There Is Good News. Mark starts his gospel, and he doesn't talk about the birth of Jesus. He doesn't give us anything about, uh, about angels or uh, prophecies. Doesn't, doesn't talk uh, uh, about uh, the stable or shepherds or wise men showing up. He doesn't even talk about the early years, about Jesus teaching in the temple when he was only 12 years old doesn't talk about him growing up in Galilee. Mark starts his gospel this way in, in Mark 1.1. He says, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He just starts his gospel and immediately starts talking about Jesus. Mark had a thought in his mind. It was a driving force that had changed his life, a driving force that had motivated his very being and had given him purpose, uh, given purpose to his existence, a driving force that that I think as he started this gospel, welled up in his spirit and defined who he was and what he was about. It was the truth of this good news. And it's simply this, that Jesus was good news. So I believe when, when the Holy Spirit inspired him, however that took place, to write this gospel, uh, I believe that, the, that, that as he started, he couldn't wait to start talking about, he couldn't wait to start talking about what gave him the most excitement and the most encouragement in his life, and that was Jesus. So when he starts the gospel, boom, he starts talking about Jesus. Now that said, he does throw a couple things in. He does talk about, about two, two other events right before he gets into the, the verses that we're looking at today. He talks about John the Baptist. And, and the reason he does that is because, and we see it actually in, in uh, three of the gospels, 
lets us know that Jesus' ministry started when John the Baptist was ministry ended. So when John was arrested, when John was arrested, that was that was more or less the signal, the sign for Jesus' ministry to start. Uh, and so, so Mark just gives us a, a, a paragraph about John that that he came preaching repentance, that that he wore camel hair, that he ate wild uh, wild honey and locusts, and and that he had made a comment about Jesus that that he was. Uh, one was coming after him that was greater, so much greater that he wasn't even worthy to reach down and untie his sandal. Uh, and then the second story is the baptism of Jesus, which is immediately followed by the temptation. Now, Mark doesn't go into much detail. Luke and uh, Matthew and Luke both tell us a lot more about the temptation, kind of how t- Satan had tempted him. Mark just mentions that he was tempted. And then Mark says this, that after he had fasted for 40 days and was tempted by Satan, he, it, Mark says that he was with the wild angels and the, or with the wild animals and the angels attended him. Now, why did he, why did he mention? Now, the, the Gospels, all three, got, or Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke all mentioned the fact that, 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 uh, that the angels attended him. There was a period of time right after his temptation, before he started his ministry, that that it says the angels came to him and attended. Why did he mention that? Um, I I think, and we don't know how long that was. Did was that a period of a few hours? Was that a period of a day, uh, a week, a month? We give no indication on how long that took place. But I believe after the after the temptation, there was a period when when Jesus had rest, and the angels were there to take care of him. So before he started. What he had come for before he started his ministry, God gave him a little glimpse of heaven again. And I like what Mark says. Mark's the only gospel writer that includes this. Mark says, and he was with the wild animals. What does he mean there? And he was with the wild animals. Now maybe he meant, maybe he meant, well, he was out in the desert and there's wild animals there. You know, there's snakes and there's uh, scorpions and there's, you know, whatever there might else there. My, you know, hyena, I don't know what they have. Wild animals. I don't think that's it. I, and I may be making too much of this. But I think Mark throws that in there because, because I believe in that one little snippet of time when the angel showed up and attended to Jesus and he was with the wild animals that the creation, the creation recognized that the creator was in their presence. So for that day, that week, those hours, whatever it was, all of creation, including the angels, recognized that Jesus was there. And, and I think he threw that in because the wild animals, instead of seeing him as prey, they saw him as creator. And so I, I think there was a moment of heaven on earth for Jesus right before he started his ministry. I say that for this reason. Isn't that what this is? Isn't that what the church is. Isn't that what our time together on on a Sunday or a Wednesday night women's Bible study or Saturday morning men's breakfast where we study together? It, isn't that now? I'm taking a little bit because we're we're definitely not 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 uh, the creator there. But isn't that a little bit when we come together? Isn't that a little bit of a respite from the the cares of the world and the trials of the world and the pain and the temptation, even though it wasn't 40 days of fasting and tempting like Jesus went through? Isn't our time together a little bit like where the creation comes together and recognizes recognizes 
the Creator and is in His presence. So when we come together and we sing praise, when we come together and we fellowship with one another, when we come together and we study His Word, and we come together as a group, we concentrate on who God is and we we put our hearts on Him. I, I think that is just a little bit of time where the creation is recognizing the Creator, but we're not made for this. We're called to this. We're called. This is God's institution. God put the church. That was part of the plan. But this is not what we're made for. We're made to, to leave here and be in the world. That's what we're called to. Jesus wasn't called to, to, to do 40 days of temptation and then just have the angels take care of him. He was called to ministry. We're, we're certainly called to, to, to come here, but we're called to leave this place and then, then be, a, be an example and a light to the world. We're going to look this morning, over the next two weeks actually, at three imperatives that, that we see to good news here in Mark chapter 1. And we're going to this morning just look at one of them. This is what Jesus, in essence, says. He says, hear me. Hear me. After John was put in prison, so it's the, the signal to start his ministry, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news about God. The time has come. He was preaching a, a, a new message, and this was it. That God is good news. Catch that. The message he was preaching, God was good news. Now, now wasn't, wasn't there rabbis, weren't there, their religious leaders already doing that? Weren't they, weren't they talking about the good news of God? Well, yeah, probably a, to a degree. Uh, but, but Jesus had also pointed out, we see in his ministry that Jesus oftentimes pointed out that that the religious leaders were more interested in tacking on burdens to them instead of telling them about God and how good he was. In Matthew chapter 23, the first four verses, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, Matthew 23, 1 to 4. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. So Jesus is saying, hey, if they're teaching the law, listen to them. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. What Jesus was saying, hey, is, is they're more interested in talking about commandments and laws and rules and their interpretation. They're more interested in, in commandments, judgment, failure, guilt than they are about talking about good news, that God loves them. That God wants to provide hope, that God wants to refresh our spirits, that God wants to have a relationship with us and, and, to, and to provide meaning and purpose. Jeremiah 29 put it this way, that it tells us that God has plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. And he goes on in Jeremiah 29 and says that, that God will listen and be found if we seek him. So the message that Jesus came preaching was simply this, is what Mark says, he, Proclaiming the good news of God. He, he came preaching good news. Church, it's easy for us, and sometimes we, we fall, we, we fall guilty of this, and, and, and as a pastor, it's easy to do this as well. It's easy for us to look at the world around us and, and to sit in judgment of the sin and the depravity that we see. To, to kind of shake our heads in disgust. Man, this world is falling apart. And it is. There is sin around us. And we look at people's lives sometimes. I'm like, why? 
And certainly in Scripture, we're told that we reap what we sow. And if we, if we sow to sin and to self, then we're going to reap brokenness and we're going to reap heartache and we're going to reap problems and struggles. So, so yes, that is true. And we are called to point that out. As a church, as individuals, we are, we're called to call, we are called to look at evil and call it what it is. Definitely. But are we not also called to be like Jesus? And, and instead of condemning our world, called instead to offer compassion. Instead of judgment, to talk about Jesus. See, we should never be ashamed to do what Jesus did. Uh, and he came preaching good news. He was the good news. The good news that God loved us so much that he sent his son. See, God wants to heal our heartache and purge us from our pain and soothe our souls and to free us from fear, uh, fear and to forgive our failures and to give us release from guilt. He wants to lead our heart uh, uh, to hope and our life to love and our purpose to pursue him. Uh, we have to be careful that we don't preach just God's coming judgment and discipline, but preach good news. See, the reality is if, if we came across someone that was thirsty, what should we do? Should we tell them to get a drink of water or should we offer them a drink of water? If we come across someone that doesn't have clean water, should we tell them don't drink that water or should, or should we try to provide a way for them to have clean water? My, uh, my youngest son, Caleb, attends a church in Liberty, Missouri, Liberty Christian Fellowship. Uh, about a year ago, a, a representative from World Vision, a, a wonderful organization that, uh, by its name, uh, by definition, goes all over the world and meets the needs of people uh, seeking social justice and, and, and meeting the needs for some of the poorest people in all the world. But the, a representative was at their church that day, and, and he challenged them. He was talking about, uh, in, in some of the countries in Africa, how, how people struggled for good, clean uh, drinking water. And he pointed out times they were forced to drink uh, rancid water and parasite-infested water, uh, or, and if not, they would have to walk sometimes up to 26 miles, a round trip, 13 miles one way to get clean water for that day, and then carry that water back. And so as part of his presentation, he challenged the church there, Christ, uh, Liberty Christian Fellowship, he challenged them to do something about it. And what he did is he challenged them to take part in the Kansas City Marathon. Uh, and, and in doing so, raise support, get people to, to give money uh, to do it. And, and his church took part in it. In fact, in Kansas City area, there were 454 runners in the Kansas City Marathon this, this, uh, this last uh, October. 454 runners from 12 different churches. A hundred of them were from Liberty Christian Fellowship, or at least connected to it. My son Caleb ran a marathon, his a half marathon. My my uh, my oldest boy Brian came and ran with them as well. Though those four hundred fifty four runners, thousand dollars, which meant that seven thousand five hundred new families would have access to clean water in Africa. Now World Vision could show up in a village, and tell them, man, you guys need to, you need to drink clean water. You've got to stop drinking that parasite infestation or it's going to make you sick. Or they could show up with well diggers, and they could dig wells, and they could give them clean water. See, the reality is God has called us, God has called us, 
like Jesus to bring good news. Instead of just telling people they need it, we offer it. That's what Jesus did. He, he came preaching, and this is what he preached. He said, hear me, uh, God is good news. Instead of thinking that God was judgment, instead of God thinking God was, was, was penalties, God is good news. And, and then he says, it's, it's time. Uh, Jesus came proclaiming the good news of God, and this is what he said, the time has come. What an odd way to start a sermon. Jesus starts his ministry according to Mark, at least with Mark's reflection as it started out. Jesus started that first sermon, and this is what he said, uh, the time has come. The, the time is now. What, what did he mean? He, he was saying, he was making the statement, hear me. I, I'm, I'm not going to preach laws. I'm not going to preach commandments. I'm not going to preach interpretations. Although Jesus supported all that. He came preaching change. He came preaching good news. He said, I am the good news. God's love is proven by me. I come as a representative of God. and Me being here shows that God loves you. That was the message that I am here because God loves you. Uh, when, when I was a, a little boy, I, I couldn't be more than eight or ten years old, my hometown, uh, Woodlawn, Illinois, a little town about 300 in southern Illinois, built our first water tower. Before that, everyone had wells uh, uh, or, or cisterns. And, and, uh, and I remember that water tower going up. In fact, it was built right behind my granny's house. And, and so I'd go to my granny's and watch them, and it started off with the, the four legs going up, and, and, and then eventually they put the tower, the tank on the top of it. And it was cool to watch it go up, and it finally got, got built, and they painted it, and at the, at the top of that big, beautiful, round water tower, they wrote the word woodlawn. And I remember, man, I'm just a little dude, but I remember thinking, wow. And I was proud of my hometown. We had a water tower. You know you're in a small town when a water tower freaks you out and you're excited. But but wow, it, it was, I don't know, maybe about four or five years later when the residents of our small sleepy town woke up and there was a new message on our water tower. And it said, right up there below Woodlawn, it said, Jack loves Linda. <laughs> See, my my cousin, I don't know, third or fourth cousin, Jack Piercy, of Linda. Linda Knox uh, wasn't to love. She was a beautiful girl, a good friend of my, one of my older sisters. And, and Jack wanted the whole world to know that he loved Linda. Yes, he didn't think through that they'd realize that, that that was him that had done it. So we got to watch a couple weeks later, Linda as well, as Jack climbed that water tower one more time and painted over Jack loves Linda. But, but what was he doing? He, he literally was saying, he was, he was showing that, hey, I, I, I love my girlfriend. He eventually married her and they had kids together. They did get divorced, but that's a whole nother story. Um, <laughs> he should have been, he should have walked, went back up on that water tower and proved his love one more time. But, but what he was saying, he, he was proving, hey, I love you. I'm showing you that. The good news is that Jesus came. Proclaiming good news, the time's, time has come. It's, it's now. I'm here. 
I am showing you that God loves you. And, and it wasn't just showing that God loves us and praying it through his presence here. It was also a good news of change. Because, see, that's what Jesus' message was. The, the reality is maybe the most powerful, maybe the most powerful phrase in this text is, is that one, the time has come. Maybe that's the most powerful thought here is that it's now. Because Jesus was calling them not to follow more rules and more commandments. Jesus was calling them to have their hearts changed. That was what was different about his ministry. When, when they listened to him and said he's not even, you know, his dad was a, a carpenter, but he speaks with such authority. They would be confounded by what he said. And, and, and oftentimes get so upset, the religious leaders, because he, he didn't preach like anyone else, because Jesus preached change. He preached, number one, that you can change, that your hearts can be changed, that, and that they should be, that your heart can be different because you come in contact with God. And he preached that, that we need to change. No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what has been in our past, God can change us. See, the good news is Jesus came to show us that God loved us, but to show us how to love God and that our hearts and our lives can be changed. So, so no matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what's been in our, what's been in our past, God loves us and calls us to change. See, the good news is there's good news. That's what Mark was excited as he sat down to write this letter. Boy, I'm going to tell you these stories about Jesus. There's good news. He is the good news. Max Lucado, in his, in his book, No Wonder They Call Him Savior, tells a story about a young lady named Maria. She lived in a small village outside Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Uh, her, her husband had died and left her with a small daughter uh, and left her with money. They struggled to get along, just had a small little one-room shack. In fact, their bed was, was just a pallet that they'd thrown, thrown a small mattress on. But, but, but they did pretty good for herself. And, and her, her, her little daughter, Christina, was just a beautiful young girl and, 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 and really had a heart for God. And Maria took her to church and really taught her about God. But, but Maria also had, a, had an independent, or uh, excuse me, Christina also had an independent streak about her. About her. And as, as she got a little bit older, she... She began to talk about about wanting her life to be different and wanting to go to the city and wanting to make it big and wanting to make money and experience things that she wasn't able to experience in her village. And 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 as she would talk about that, Maria would warn her about the dangers of the city. One one morning when she was only 15 years old, Christina got up and and got on a bus and went to Rio. Her her mother found that she was gone, and and of course she became very worried. Because she knew her daughter didn't have any money. And she knew once she hit the streets of Rio, that reality would hit. Reality would become something that she wasn't prepared for. No money, no hope, no way to get it. She knew the decisions she would have to make. And she knew the things that she had thought that she would never do, she might end up doing just to survive on those streets. So Maria gathered as much money as she could and put a couple clothes in a bag and and bought a bus ticket and headed to Rio. When she got there, she went to a small store and one of those little photo booths and, and, and began to take a bunch of pictures, as much money as she could get, uh, could take the pictures. And, 
And, and then she went around the city of Rio. She went to the, the areas that someone who didn't do anything, the, the rough areas of the city that she thought her daughter might have ended up. And she went to all those areas. And, and she'd go into bars and she'd go into uh, the clubs and she went into motels. And she'd take a, a little picture that she'd taken of herself and she'd mess the back of it. And she'd take one of those pictures and she'd put it up on a, a mirror or she'd put it up on a, a bulletin board or, or sometimes she'd put them in a phone booth wherever she went. After a, a period of time, she ran out of pictures and she ran out of money. And with tears in her eyes, she boarded a bus and headed back to Rio. Lucado says about a month after that, her daughter Christina was coming out of a motel. She had been been there doing what she had to do to survive. And as she turned the corner and started to walk out, she saw a mirror in the lobby. And on that mirror, she saw a face that looked familiar. It was a picture of her mom. And so she walked over and took that picture off and stood there for for, for quite some time just staring at the picture of mom. And she, she began to, to long to go back home. And she wished if if only I could sleep on that bed on that pallet and exchange that for the thousands of motel beds I'd been on in the last year or so. And she flipped that picture over and on the back of the picture she read the message that her mother had written. Whatever you've done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. Lucado said she did. Jesus came preaching good news. Mark starts his ministry this way. He came preaching the good news of God. And and what it says to us, what it says to you today, what it says to me, is, is he doesn't care what we've done. He doesn't care what we've become. He doesn't care where we've been. He doesn't care how far we've traveled away. He simply says, come home. See, that's the good news. That's the good news. God has come for us. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning that you have called us. You have called us to good news. Uh, The Israelites in Jesus' day were burdened down with so many cares and struggles. Uh, they, they looked around, and the the the, the Roman army was a, a, an everyday presence in their lives. Uh, the the weight of the law weighed heavy on them as their their leaders demanded more and more. And yet Jesus came preaching simply this: that God was good news, and, and illustrated that with His very presence. Father, uh, we we sometimes get so easily burdened down in our world. So much can pull us away from you. And yet you send us that same message that God is good news, that we have hope through him. Father, we thank you for that. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need to make a decision, we'd encourage you to come. Maybe you don't know, maybe you don't know that good news. Maybe you, you, you look at your life and you're somewhat like that girl in Rio, that Christina, and you're thinking of all the things you've done wrong and all the places you've been and the things that you've thought and the things that you've said. And Jesus simply says, I don't care.
come home. Maybe you don't know Jesus, and we, we would ask you to come today to meet him. Maybe you're here this morning, and you just need prayer. Maybe you need some other issue. Just come forward and, uh, and be here at the feet.